Well, this is wonderful. Today we're going to continue on our service with, uh, in Galatians, and uh, I am learning so much. You know, it's, it's funny, I was, uh, I was commenting on line um, with a bunch of, of, uh, of pastors, and, uh, and I think I said something like, you know, I've wor- I'm working through Galatians 2 with my church, and, uh, and, and I thought that was hard. I thought, you know, wow, it's really challenging, because there's so much packed into Galatians 2. And, and the challenge is to try to get all of it out without uh, losing relevance or without, you know, bogging people down in, in unnecessary details. And, uh, and, and it's challenging. And I thought, you know, if I just get to the end of, 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 chapter, of chapter 2, then, uh, then I'll get into chapter 3, and chapter 3 is going to be great. And then chapter 3, you know, I was writing chapter 3 and, uh, and 4, and chapter 3 said, uh, hold my grape juice, because it was like, it was ridiculous. It's like, no, we, this is, uh, it just keeps on going, because Paul is making such great points. So, uh, we're going to continue on in chapter 2 today. We're chapter 2, 11 to 14 today. And, uh, and yeah, God's really going to speak in that. So years ago, when I was about 18 years old, 19 years old, I started a community youth group. And the community youth group was intended to, to be to completely unchurched people um, who... I was like, I was feeling that God was calling me to these people. I volunteered, did all of this stuff. And uh, it was to unchurched people, and it was called Refuge. And it was called Refuge because it was meant to be a place that showed that Jesus cares for these youth with no strings attached. And that was the heart and the vision of what my mentor had put me out onto. And he was like, yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to do this thing and it's going to be great. And, uh, and so Refuge was amazing. And I still talk to many of the youth that, that were involved in Refuge. I still, I still have Facebook conversations with them. And, you know, many of them are married now and have kids of their own. And, uh, and it was just this, this great experience, showing that Jesus cares with no strings attached. And we had one site. The one site we had was in Newmarket, um, and it actually met at Glen Cedar Public School, and it was just, it was great. We'd just go and, and just hang out together, and we had this site, and it started off small, but then it started getting huge. We'd have like 30, 40, 50, some, the, the largest number we got was, was 62 kids on, on one week, and it was just this great blast of, a, of an event. And what happened was God started expanding my vision. The idea that refuge should not just be one site location, but it should have seven sites. There should be seven youth groups. Well, as a volunteer, I didn't have the physical time resources to go and do seven. So what I did is I started partnering with other organizations, and I started, I started moving ahead with this vision that God had put on my heart. And once you know it, it's actually challenging. We actually successfully launched four or five other sites. We were in, uh, yeah, we were all over Newmarket, just different places, running these, these youth groups. But what happened was the vision, which started off with a very sure vision to show Jesus cares with no strings attached. By the time it got to our third or our fourth iteration of it, we had town employees involved just to cover the, the safety protocol 
protocols. We had, we had all kinds of, you know, policies and this and that that, that started to just look like a drop-in event. And there's nothing wrong with a drop-in event, but a drop-in event is something very different from the initial vision of showing Jesus cares with no strings attached. You know, there was a lack of understanding of the purpose and the mission, and it became, as Pastor Amy was just talking about, an imitation of the original. An imitation that tried to fill the hole, but didn't work. So, Paul in Galatians has this very strong, sharp vision for what the gospel of Jesus is and what its implications are. And Paul is doing the same thing that we did with refuge. He is expanding it out and he's pushing the boundaries and he's saying we're going into new spaces, into new towns, into new cities and we are expanding this mission of Jesus throughout the entire Roman Empire. Well, what happens when that happens is, is you get people who when they iterate it, they don't fully understand what the initial mission and purpose is. They, they say yes, yes, yes to everything and they check all the boxes and the system and the program looks the same, but underneath it, the truth and the weight of it's being eroded and pulled away and has implications that make the whole thing ineffective. Well, this is what Paul has been facing for the first two chapters or first chapter and a half. Paul has been proving that he is on the right road, that he's going the right way, that this is the mission and this is where he comes into it being moved into a different direction. And Paul does something that I wish I did when I was 18 or 19 years old. Paul confronts it. And he says, this is not what we are going for. That is what we need to go for. And because Paul was able to confront it in the church of Galatia, the mission was able to continue on, and it has affected us 2,000 years later. Whereas where I did not confront what happened in refuge because I was a young leader and I had no clue what was going on, refuge itself actually started to fall to the side. I was very grateful when the Salvation Army came along and, and, and took it over under their branding, branding and there are still iterations of it going on today, which is just amazing and wonderful. And we're so grateful that God is faithful. But this is a, a whole conversation about navigating conflict as it approaches. And that's what Paul has been leaning into. So today, we are going to... Um, Today we're going to, to dig into Galatians 2, 11 to 14, talking about conflict because here we are in a young church and we need to be able to know when is something moving us away from the mission that God has called us to do. Let me uh, read the text and then I'm going to pray. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. We get right into it, right? Because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, it was not on mission, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, like a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you didn't sugarcoat scripture. But you allow us to see the very important high-level discussions that are happening so that we can bring them into our life and we can know how we get to navigate the conflicts that naturally come about. Give us wisdom in our life today as we operate as a community, as a church. And I pray that you would be glorified in what we do and that it would continue to be on mission. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I'm going to be interacting with Slack on, online and uh, that's, that's a great opportunity. If you're part of our Slack community, please be, be hitting us up. It's coming right onto my screen right away. Uh, you can have questions, comments, or concerns about whatever you hear and I love to hear that stuff. It's very good. By the way, my shirt is white and blue. So thank you, Joel. And, uh, and so the other place that you can interact with us is on promisechurch.community. You go down to today's message and uh, you, can, you can see a text box and you can interact with us there. If you have questions, then you can type in your message there and we will get to it. Um, so thank you for that. See, there's a couple things that I just want to say right off the start when Paul is clearly in a moment of confrontation. The first thing that we see is that Paul does not attack the character of Cephas. He calls out an action, but he's not attacking the character. This is not ad hominem. This is not against Cephas. And that's a really important thing that we just need to, to understand right at the beginning because the church needs to stay united. It really needs to stay united. We need to be able to see that. And so that is something that, um, that, that we have to see. See, today, judgment tends to tear down. It tends to pull people apart. It's not just like, I disagree with you, but because I disagree with you, you are the epitome of the evil one. You now need to see all of the person's character through the lens of the offense. And that's the way that, that we are dealing with conflict in our culture, is we, we make assumptions based on the offense that we have, and then we build it out to affect an entire person's character. What that would have looked like in this context would have been this. That Paul would have looked at Cephas' actions in Antioch and would have said, wow, Cephas is in a power struggle with me and he's trying to, to undermine everything that God is doing and Cephas is totally against the work of God and because he's against the work of God, he should not be a leader inside the church. <clears throat> he, should not, he should not be able to, to do anything in the church anymore because look at this, he's set up to make the Gentiles fail and he's a terrible person. Okay, Paul doesn't do that. Today we tend to want to people to believe us, and so what we do is we tend to build a case. We build a case against the individual. And that's something that, that 
cannot happen in the church if we're to see the church thrive. You know, it's really easy to build a case against people inside the church. I've been in ministry for many years now, and I know how easy it is to build a case against people in the church. It's not that hard. Watch any of us close enough, and you will see our flaws. You can find reasons to never listen to me again. You totally can find them if you want. You can, you can corrupt, you know, my words to say whatever you want them to say to assassinate my character or anybody else's. And you can, you can lose respect for people because you simply want to prove them wrong. So when we attack the integrity of a person, you know, we, we undermine the care that God calls us to have for the person. But we also try to gather people to our side in doing it. Oh, well, did you hear this person did that? And therefore, they should not have the position they hold. That's the way that people do that right now. So, so he, it's, it's our cultural way of building conflict. And Paul does something different. Paul does something different. See, if we're to judge, we need to keep our judgments about, to be about where is this going? Where is this one thing, this, this action, not this person, where does this action lead the whole? What, what's the trajectory and what are the implications of if we continue with this? So for Paul, the question is, what are the implications if the Jews continue to separate from the Gentiles in table fellowship? What are the implications? And so, you know, how does it affect the body of Christ? Does it alter the gospel message? So Cephas, he was damaging the gospel. If we're going to have conflict, we better make it about something that is eternally important. It's not worth having conflict about whether I, you know, whether I should have bad hair or good hair. That's not worth having conflict over. And so it's not worth having conflict over whether I, you know, liked the positioning of the piano this week, which we don't have up, or not. It's not worth having conflict over that. We better make sure that the things we're having conflict over are important and integral to the gospel. <coughs> oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Paul, in verse 14, is building up how a Christian should live if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He's saying there is something happening here that your message, what you say you believe, isn't working out in how you treat others. So we've talked a lot about how this, this, this epistle is really about God working out the inclusion of the Gentiles and when, when Peter in Antioch looks at Cephas and he says, whoa, you're excluding the Gentiles, we have a problem to the gospel message. So the hypocrisy in how people live is central to Paul's statement of the gospel. See, when I should have in refuge taken the conflict 
when I should have stepped into the conflict was when there were people who were not Christian starting to, to represent and do the ministry when externally, yes, they were doing the right thing, but there was no possible way they could have actually fulfilled the mission, which was to show people that Jesus cares with no strings attached because they did not know Jesus. And so, thank you very much. And so they did not know Jesus, and so they could not fulfill the mission. I should have stepped in there and said, no, wait a second. The mission of what we're doing is to show people Jesus cares. So we must, we must protect the simplicity of the gospel. When the message damages the integrity, the access to the promises of God through faith in Jesus, we've got to take action as a church. That's when we step into conflict. When the simplicity of the gospel is removed and it, becomes, and it becomes shielded from the others, when we hide our church inside four walls so that the world can't hear the truth of the gospel, there is a problem that we need to be pushing against. We're called to enter into conflict so that the gospel of Jesus, which is that you can be saved through the faithfulness of Jesus' work on the cross, that he is Lord and God wants to be with you. When we see those things coming together, when those messages come outside the four walls, then we are doing the mission of the church. But as long as we keep church inside, then we are we are failing in our mission to protect the simplicity of the gospel and the, and the proclamation of the gospel. So we need to be able to do this. We need to be able to say that we are moving forward. And so um, this is so important. At this church, we are being true to the gospel when we are able to say, Let's get the gospel out into the community. Let's, let's remove boundaries from it. You know, it's not really about, and I'm better than you as another Christian. That's not the type of conflict we want to have. That's a pet peeve. For our salvation, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not about, oh, I'm better than you. It's about, did I hurt the simplicity of the gospel? Did I keep it hidden under a bushel, maybe in four walls of a church? Or did I allow it to be proclaimed? Did I take part in, in mechanisms like promise grants, promise groups, and, and community programs that will allow the gospel to reach those that would not hear otherwise? You know, we are responsible to keep our representation in line with the gospel. So a metric of inclusion is about, did you... <clears throat> Did you pay, place your faith in the faithfulness of Jesus and him crucified? So we got to be able to be willing to have conversations about conflict, but not write off individuals whom we disagree with. Okay, so this is the experience of reading N.T. Wright and John Piper. N.T. Wright and John Piper don't agree on the interpretations of Galatians. Yay, it's really convoluted, and we're going to get into that in the next couple weeks, which is super excited. But... They do it in a way that they are talking about the object and not slamming each other. In fact, in their books, they are complimenting each other. They are building the integrity of the other. But they're doing it in the way that we should be. 
And so, um, so that is really important. See, conflict is going to happen inside the church. Conflict itself is not a failure. Conflict actually helps protect from failure. Take a look at this. In Galatians, Paul steps into conflict with Cephas, and the church continues on. In refuge, I avoided conflict, and the ministry disappeared. Conflict is not failure. Conflict helps protect us from failure. Paul, if Paul avoided conflict, Paul's ministry would not have succeeded. So we're going to talk about four steps to approach conflict. We're going to, you, you, you pray about the conflict. You understand the factors influencing the conflict. You approach the conflict with respect. And you have alternative approaches and outcomes. In my teens, before I started Refuge, a youth pastor of mine that I respect, he was fired. And at the time, I didn't agree with the firing because I was a teenager and I liked my youth pastor. The new youth pastor that replaced my youth pastor, I, I, didn't, I didn't respect him. I thought he played too many games and he didn't lead worship enough. And, you know, it was a challenging time. I do respect him now, but I did not respect him and I did not have a lot of respect for him. And, I, and, and as I was praying that everything would change, as I was praying that this new youth pastor would get, would, would get let go and that we would get a good godly pastor again because I was really judgmental. I felt the, the prodding in my spirit. I felt the question of God saying, you know, you have a, you have a conflict with your pastor and what are you going to do? Oh man, I wanted to oppose him to his face the way that Paul did, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That's what I wanted to do with my youth pastor. It was really interesting because God said, you can only oppose him if you truly understand what your conflict is. If you truly understand where you're going to take this thing and the way that you see me doing it differently. Well, as it, I searched my heart a little bit more, I discovered that my conflict was nothing more than I want it my way. I just want it my way. And I had to keep silent. And I did. I kept silent. And I actually saw that youth pastor succeed. And then he moved on and was a lead pastor at another church. And it was brilliant. Just brilliant. So we pray about the conflict. We understand the factors influencing the conflict. We approach the conflict with respect. And we have alternate approaches and outcomes. So it takes prayer to see the conflict as it is. This isn't explicitly in the text, but I'm going to add it because maybe I assume on prayer during Paul's years of development. I assume that, that Paul is praying. And, and so that is a really important element. I'm actually going to pause for one second because somebody just mentioned on Slack that as a church, how do we know the right balance of sharing the gospel externally with internally caring for the other? Well, absolutely. That's a great question. And one of the things that, that I see with that is, is that there is a community that's drawn together by the faithfulness, um, by putting faith in the faithfulness of Christ. And we're drawn together. And we do carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're going to get that in, in later in Galatians. 
And what we do with that, as we care for each other, we ensure that we are, we are going out into the community and proclaiming this truth. Because here in the care for each other is the expression of the gospel. It's the proof of the gospel, right? When we care for each other, then people hear the words and they look at us and they say, the love that we have for each other, and then they will know that we are Christ's disciples. And so those two come together. Very good question. They come together, and they don't stand in the way of the gospel. Where we lean right now is not proclaiming to the world around us. That's our culture's failure. We, we don't proclaim to the world around us. And so thank you very much for, for that comment. See, it takes prayer to see the conflict as it is. You know, we often see the conflict about how it affects me personally. But when we pray about it, our perspective can change to something that's more objective. Conflict possibly is about a specific action that would have negative outcomes that most of us don't want. So the goal is to set a better perspective on those actions. Not to remove the conflict, but to understand it. And this is before we oppose somebody face to face. We pray about it. And we take it to God, say, this is the struggle I have. God, help me understand its root. Help me understand where it's coming from. And so, we need to see it objectively. Too often, we express conflict before we examine it close enough. Guys, this is true for marriages. It's true for long-term friendships. It's true for, for many things. Oftentimes, we express our conflict prematurely because we don't understand where it's coming from and what it's attached to you know um it's it's kind of like the the fights that happen over where you put your dirty socks and 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 like that's the real fight but it's not the real fight there's something else going on and so we when we pray about it we can understand the real conflict and we have to understand the factors influencing the conflict that comes out of prayer. See, Paul's ecclesiology is spot on. His belief about the church is spot on. He knows that Cephas is on his team. It's not that Cephas is against him, but he's on his team. And it's not about us being against each other. Cephas isn't Paul's enemy, but they do disagree. So in your family or your church, you might have conflict. But please understand that conflict does not make you an enemy. You're not enemies when you disagree. John Piper and N.T. Wright are not enemies. They are on the same team. We work together. So, don't act like enemies. Don't act like enemies. Don't make your child your enemy when you are disciplining them. Don't make your spouse your enemy when they didn't want, when they didn't do what you want them to do. Cephas is understanding inclusion from a different paradigm, and it has really important and negative implications, but he's on the same team. So too often we break our and lose our relationships for fear of conflict, right? The more we put into understanding the conflict, the better you will be able to articulate it and not attack the other person. So, 
we also need to approach the conflict with respect. And this is really interesting. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he had assessed the conflict, he knew what it was. And I said to Cephas before all of them, if you, a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul has put the conflict right there. And he's not demeaning or undermining or saying passive-aggressive things to Cephas. He's simply saying, here's the conflict. The issue I have is this. And that's what I couldn't do in refuge. I wasn't able to say, the issue I have is that, is that our volunteers coming and don't even understand that Jesus loves with no strings attached. They, they don't even understand it, so how could they do the mission? I didn't understand that this was the conflict. And so, it fell apart. We need to understand the conflict and then approach it with success, with respect. Paul opposed him to his face. I'm just going to address the, another way we do conflict. We, because we don't like it, we avoid face-to-face. -face. Guys, conflict needs the respect of being done face-to-face. -face. If you're doing conflict in an email, there is very little chance that the relationship will continue beyond the email. There's little chance that those knives thrown will actually heal in real life. Paul opposes Cephas to his face. Paul could have destroyed him in a letter. He could have undermined everything about him. He could have written what he really thought. And so this is so important. Someone just wrote, I don't think that there's been a more polarizing period in my life that culture has been so othering. Disagree with me and you're canceled. Christians and non-Christians alike, there's a call here and an example to actually give the person the respect, address the conflict as the conflict, and do it face-to-face -face as much as possible. And so this is really important. And finally, have an alternate approach and an outcome. This we, we really need to invest in. We really need to invest in the solutions. You can't just state a conflict, state a problem, and then be like, because if the problem is really about the gospel, if it's really that important, then we need to be people who are going to say, this conflict is worth raising, and it's worth investing in the solution together. And Paul did that, and he was like, you need to... You need to, to address your hypocrisy. And he goes on in 15 and, and further about how he does it. He shows another solution. Um, and so, you know, he starts by saying, if you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how could you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he has an alter alternate solution. He's saying we cannot adjust based on some other tradition or expectation. We must continue to put faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. So today I hope that as we've gone over these four steps, praying about conflict, understanding factors influencing conflict, approach to conflict with respect, and have alternate approaches and outcomes, this is something that we need to invest in as a church. 
We need to recognize that conflict does not mean failure. It actually protects us from failure when we do these four things. It will strengthen your marriage if you respect your spouse enough to think about the, pray about the conflict, understand it, express it properly. This is so important. You know, um, one person just wrote, reminds me of a lesson, uh, of a lesson the kids did on, on the difference between discussion, disagreement, argument, and fight. Only fighting is actually bad because it's where we attack the other person rather than presenting different views. Absolutely. And we, we must, as Christians, we must not infight like that where we tear the other person down. So let's not be afraid of conflict, but know that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I am, <laughs> I am always encouraged with healthy dialogue, including Kent, who, you know, who says that we need to disagree agreeably. Very, very good. And so, this is so important. When we come back to this same text next week, we're actually going to look at table fellowship and understand what Paul is talking about here because it matters for how we represent the gospel. But that is enough for today, and I hope that you're encouraged. Be blessed today, and let me pray a prayer of blessing on you. Dear Jesus, as we as a church mature, we as a community gather in your name because of your faithfulness, we know that there will be times when conflict comes. But God, I pray that you would protect us as a church because we will pray about our conflict and we will articulate our conflict and we will help invest in the solution. God, I pray that we would respect each other and I pray for the love of Christ to be, to be shed abroad in our hearts towards each other so that when people see us, they will say, truly, you are disciples of the Lord Almighty. You are disciples of Jesus. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to strengthen us and continue to grow us and continue to lead us. And help us not fear conflict, but help us do it right. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and God bless you.